You need to be born again. People ask me sometimes, do I need to be saved to join the light of the world? I say, no, you don't need to be saved to join our church. You need to be saved to go to heaven, and this ain't heaven. You can come up in here. We want sinners to be here so you can get saved. But just sitting up in here doesn't save you. Just coming every Sunday, giving your tithes and offering your time and your talent doesn't save you. You need to be born again because we're here to load up, to take a trip. And the only one who's going to be able to get on that train are the ones who have been, what, born again. It was Jesus Christ who spoke to a religious man and told him, you need to be born again. Jesus came to seek and to save those who are lost. This is Jerry G. Martin. Join us as we share the message of salvation. Jesus came to save you from all of your sins. Come and go with us as we walk in the light of God's word. If I were to ask or take a survey and ask everyone in here or even those who may be out of here, And I would ask this question, what would your answer be? The question would be, are you right with God? And you can ask a person that, and the quick response is, yes, I'm right with God. But then you can ask it another way. Would God say that you are right with him? Sometimes you get a different answer. Well, I don't know if God would say it. Well, if God's not going to say it, then guess what? You're not right. Job asked this question of God in his ninth chapter, verse 2. He asked, you don't have to turn there, he said, how can a man be right with God? Let's look at that. He said, then how can I dispute with him? How can I find words to argue with him? He says, you know, when I start talking about how good I am with God, how can I argue with him? How can I dispute with him? He knows. Though I were innocent, I could not answer him. I could only plead with my judge for mercy. Even if I summoned him and he responded, I do not believe he would give me a hearing. He would crush me with a storm and multiply my wounds for no reason. He would not let me regain my breath, but would overwhelm me with misery. If it is a matter of strength, he's mighty. If it's a matter of justice, who will summon him? Even if I were innocent, my mouth would condemn me. If I were blameless, it would pronounce me guilty. Job was wrestling with his position before God and his right and righteousness before God. God. And if all of us would take stock of where we are, we'd we'd have the same position if we really knew the righteousness of God. And what he called right and righteous would be a whole lot different from what we call right and righteous. The Bible tells us that his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And we might feel like we might be right, but it is the judge who determines whether we are right or wrong. Because God is the Almighty, Job wondered how a person could ever approach him. He's the Almighty God. He's the Holy God. How can you come into the presence of the Lord knowing how right he is, how holy he is? And how can you be acceptable before him? Can a human being find 
a right relationship with a God who is perfect, a God who is holy, a God who is infinite, a God who is mighty. Whenever you see in the scriptures the appearance of God or the appearance of Christ, uh, the great fear grips the heart of people because in the brightness of his light, man has a tendency to understand how dark he is. Sometimes when we think we're as clean as we can get, God comes and he tells us where all the spots are. It's like when we used to clean the windows in the house and you get it real clean and then the sun hit it. And you see all the smears and all the places you missed. When John the Baptist came before Christ and preached his message of repentance, the people shouted, what shall we do? How, how do we get right? Because the power of God and the spirit of God began to convict them when he preached repentance. And then when Peter preached at Pentecost about the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the people shouted out, brethren, what shall we do? We know we're not right. When Saul was blinded on the road to Damascus and was knocked off of his horse, he laid on the ground and said, what shall I do? The Philippian jailer cried out to Paul and Silas. The jailhouse opened and he saw the power of God. He said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? He knew that he wasn't saved. He knew that he wasn't saved, so he says, what must I do to be saved? And that's the title of this Message, what must I do to be saved? Because I recognize there are a lot of folks that are in the church that think they are right, but they ain't saved. There's a lot of unspiritual people in the church. And they think they're right. I got quiet in here. I'm talking about the other church. Not this one. Will you say amen? And if I hit you, just say ouch. Throughout history, men have had the same question. What do I need to get myself together, to get myself right? And the reason we see religion in every culture is because man is attempting to answer the same question. You can go into the deepest jungle to people who, people groups that have not been discovered by the outside world and they are worshiping something outside of themselves to try to figure out what it is they need to do to be right. They may be bowing down to a tree, but they're thinking something is greater than me, and I need to figure out what I need to do to get right, to get righteous, to, to have eternal life, to, to get rid of the guilt feeling that I have, to escape the fear that I have, to, to get rid of this thing of knowing that I've done something wrong and I need to atone for it. So people cannot escape the guilt, the fear, for being the way that they are. Man has a built-in sense of lostness, loneliness, emptiness, and meaninglessness. It's already built in. You may not recognize it. You thought it was something else, but it boils down to the same thing. My life has no meaning. People get up and they get around 35, 40 years old, and they say their life has no meaning, and then they want to get rid of that spouse because they think that's the problem. That's not the problem. The problem is you need to be plugged in and connected with the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Only he is going to give your life meaning and fulfillment, not your spouse. Or the spouse helps out a lot. But when you want the ultimate fulfillment, it is being connected with God. Man also has the fear of death and questions about his existence beyond the grave. 
He wants to know what's beyond the grave. What about life after death? We know, we know within our hearts that when we die, that's not it. We may not know exactly what it is, but we know that ain't it. There's something. We've heard about ghosts and spirits. You talk about scared to go to bed. Nearly every religion is a response to those same fears and seeks to offer a way of reaching and satisfying a deity, a God. But every religion besides Christianity is man-made and is centered on what you can do to reach your God. And for that reason, none of them can succeed in leading a person to Christ. Every religion has some things that you have to do in order to reach that place that they say that you need to get to. You have to do that in order to get there. But Christianity has nothing for you to do to gain your own salvation. The Bible makes it clear that there is indeed a way to God, but that's not based on anything men themselves can do, but only what God can do for you. Man can be made right with God, but it's on God's terms and on on his own power. And that's what makes the Christian walk different from every other religion. In fact, as far as salvation is concerned, there are only two religions the world has ever known or ever will know. Only two. One, the religion of divine accomplishment. What Jesus Christ did on the cross. That was his divine accomplishment where he conquered death and hell and the grave and made a provision for you and me to come to Jesus Christ through his shed blood. That's divine accomplishment. And the other religions has to do with human achievement. Whatever name they go under, it has human achievement as its basis. One of the major themes of the book of Romans is righteousness. And I want you to turn to the book of Romans with righteousness. This word and its derivatives are mentioned more than 60 times in this book of Romans as you turn there to chapter 3. The only righteousness that a man possesses or attains on his own is unrighteousness. You arrived in this world with unrighteousness. That is the character of the fallen nature, the character of the fallen man in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned and and ushered in the sin nature unto all men. That's what we came here with. That is our nature. That's our instinct. That's how we function naturally with unrighteousness. That's why you don't have to be taught to sin. You have to be taught to live holy. You don't have to be taught to lie. You figured that out really quick, and you figured it out early. How many of you had lying lessons? Nobody had to teach you how to lie. The smallest child will figure it out quickly. Why? Because that's his nature. Don't have to teach you how to steal. Because it's a nature that wants something that belongs to somebody else that you can get when you don't have any money. You'll, You'll just look to the left and look to the right. And then you'll take it. Now, I tell you, you know it's wrong, or else you wouldn't look to the left. And you wouldn't look to the right. So you know that it's wrong. What are you looking for? To see if anybody's doing what? Looking. And even the youngest child would do that so they know that it's wrong. 
but they do it anyway. That is that unrighteousness and that unrighteous nature. Isaiah said this, man's righteous deeds, your righteous deeds, are like filthy garments, referring to the menstrual cloth. That's what your righteous deeds look like before God. We, the sinful men, ever have the opportunity to get right and righteous, it is only because of the mercy and the grace that God can provide to us. So let's look at one such verse in Romans that teaches us that God can provide his righteousness. Romans chapter 3, I want to begin at verse 21. Paul, in this passage, had began his letter to the Romans in chapter 1, talking about God's righteousness. And then in chapter 1, the latter parts, verses 18 and following, he talks about the unrighteousness of the Gentiles. They've been turned over to a reprobate mind, a mind that is no mind, and they were doing all kinds of things. That was the Gentiles. And then in chapter 2, he talks about the unrighteousness of the Jews. And then he talks here about the righteousness of God by starting here in verse 21 by saying, but now a righteousness from God apart from law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Why do we want to talk about this righteousness today? Because as the Jewish people to whom Paul was addressing this was accounting their practices under the law, their rituals, their obedience and their sacrifices to the law, they were counting that as their righteousness and Paul wanted to point out to them that all the activities and the things they were doing did not account for their righteousness but they had a righteousness that would come from God through Jesus Christ. So in this verse, he begins to open the window of divine grace to show to those who were attempting to reach God by their own strength, by following the law and the rituals prescribed by the law, but they would always fall short. Paul said that this righteousness that God imparts to believers is apart from the law. That law referred to legalism. The strict self-dependence upon one's own effort to be good and right and righteous, the legalism. And some of you grew up in churches where there was legalism to try to make you be right with legalism. They said if you didn't wear any makeup, you were saved. Once you get saved, you don't wear no makeup. You have to dress a certain way and act a certain way and do a certain thing. And then they begin to account that to you as righteousness as long as you looked holy. And you didn't cuss and chew and smoke. So you looked holy because you fulfilled those acts of the law in that particular church. Or if you came to church every Sunday and you came to the mourner's bench and you, and, and you, got, you were 12 years old, 11 years old, and they said you had to do what? Be baptized. Y'all know what they said they had to do. Whether you were saved or not, they were going to dunk you. So you were 12 years old and you had to play it off because they tell you you had to get baptized. So go to the owner's bench and get religion. And if you didn't get it, one guy told me, he said, well, I didn't get it, but they told me I couldn't get up until I did, so I faked it. So I was 12. Me and my brother said, come on, I'm going to say I got it if you got it. He said, okay. 
Because they kept making us go back every week till we got religion. So he said, I got religion. I got religion. They said, okay, you're good. Now you can be baptized. You're good. Why? You, you, you touched that base. You stamped that. You took care of that. Now that's all you need to do. You're okay. You're good forever. That's the law. So his main point is that the righteousness that God gives to believers is entirely apart from obedience to the law, even though the law was good. And people still try to reach God today by fulfilling the law. Some will get baptized and then say they are righteous. But baptism doesn't save you. Just because you get baptized don't mean you saved. You can go down a dry devil and come up a wet devil. That don't save you. You don't get baptized to be saved. Now once you get saved, you need to be baptized to indicate to the public that I have given my life to Christ and I'm making a public declaration of what has happened privately in my life and in my heart. Some will join a church and then say they are righteous. But joining a church don't make you any more righteous than sitting in a garage make you a car. Just because you join a church, it doesn't make you righteous. The devil goes to church. Some bring them with him. Going to church and joining the church and giving the preacher your hand or going to newcomers class don't make you righteous. Some would get in the choir and say they were righteous, but the devil was the choir director before he got kicked out of heaven. Joining the choir doesn't make you righteous. Serving in a ministry doesn't make you righteous. Some will tithe and then say they are righteous. But tithing don't make you righteous. Some will read the Bible in 90 days and say they are right and righteous. But that doesn't make you righteous. But God's righteousness is not based on human achievement or anything man can do under his power. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everybody who say they are right and righteous is going to enter. Jesus said that, not me. Only he who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And did we not drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Get away from me, you evildoers. One of the worst things in the world is going to be is for you to think you're righteous and think you're going to get into heaven. And when you get to the gate, Find out you're going to have to go in the line with the ones who never even confess Christ. You don't want to think you're righteous. You want to know for sure. And that's why those people kept asking that question, what must I do to be saved? Don't you fool yourself. Just because you have a good feeling. Just because you've been going to church for 15 years. Your name is on the roll. And you're nice to everybody. That don't save you. Jesus said they were more than nice. They were prophesying. They were casting out devils. They was close, but not quite. Paul tells him in our text, but now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness come from God 
through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. He said, let's get right down to the nitty gritty. It's just Jesus. Somebody say Jesus. It's just your faith in Jesus Christ. Paul said, I don't want to confuse you, but the law doesn't save you. It's just describe God's righteousness and shows you the impossibility of your ability to live up to it. The law, he says, nobody can live up on their own strength to all of God's law. It's too high for us to live up to. That's why they had to keep bringing sacrifices over and over again because they kept sinning over and over again because they could not make it under that law. He says, I don't want to confuse you, but the law doesn't save you. I don't want to confuse you, but the sacrifices was not a means of saving you from sin. It was pointing to the ultimate sacrifice, that's Jesus Christ. The commandments, the rituals, the sacrifices, and the godly principles taught in the Old Testament were, were and still are part of God's divine plan for us in his word. But they never removed the sin. They never forgave the sin. They never atoned for the sin. They never give us new and righteous life to a sinner, no matter how sincere you are. You can be sincere in your coming to church all you want to be, but that doesn't save you. Your sincerity doesn't save you. The righteousness we need comes only through faith in Jesus Christ. And when I speak of faith, I mean a genuine belief in Jesus Christ, which comes from the center of your being, your heart, and not just your head. It's because you can have in your head, you know, I, I think I need to do better. I need to be a better person. I should join church. That'll make me a better person. No, that's in your head. When your heart has received Jesus Christ, something changes in your life. See, there is such a thing as false faith. There are those who think that just because they made a statement with their mouths and even responded to an altar call that they're saved. You can say, uh, the Bible says, if you would believe in your, in your heart and confess with your mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord, you are saved. You can say that 50 times a day. But if you haven't made a decision in your heart to allow Jesus Christ to be your Lord, you're just talking. The problem is, what we see is that people say they're saved, but we don't see any life change. See, when Jesus Christ comes into your life for real, something changes. When you meet Jesus and he comes in your life, something changed. You don't keep acting like you were acting before you got saved. You don't keep living like you were living before you got saved. Something changes in your life. The old hymn says, what a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. Change happened. It was Jesus Christ who said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? You can have everything you want, but if you do not have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you will not spend eternity in heaven with him. You will spend eternity in hell. He did not come to scare us. He came to save us. This message today has been a message of hope and a message of salvation. I don't know what's going on in your life, but if you feel hopeless and helpless and you feel like there's no meaning in your life, Jesus Christ came to give you life and give you a more abundant life. But it requires you to connect with him by inviting him into your life to be your Lord and your Savior. 
This is Jerry G. Martin. I invite you to know Jesus Christ. If you would like some help getting to know him, call us and we'll pray with you and we'll share with you how you can come to know Jesus Christ. Call us at our prayer line number of 281-964-1393. Again, that's 281-964-1393. I invite you to come and be our guest. We're meeting in person at the light of the world. We're at 16161 Old Humble Road. If you're in North Houston or Tascacita, Humble, Kingwood, Summerwood, or anywhere in the north or northeast, you're in our neighborhood. Sundays at 10 a.m. You can join us online at lowcf.org. Again, that's lowcf.org. Now for the light of the world, this is Jerry G. Martin saying, may the Lord our God richly bless you, and we'll be with you again next time.